Good morning. We're going to take a break from our Philippians series this morning. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to our Old Testament reading, Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. And let's listen again to the first sentence. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. If you're considering Christianity, the Bible is a great place to start. And the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3, are foundational. Because here we meet the primary character of the story that the Bible tells. And that character, that central character, is God. A particular God. When you read the Bible, the God that you're introduced to here, in Genesis chapter 2 verse 4, in our English translations, it calls him Lord God. And if you have a Bible with you and you look closely, the word Lord is probably written a little bit differently. It's lowercase, smaller caps. Now, in the language this was originally written in, in Hebrew, that is Yahweh Elohim. Elohim, that was the generic word in the ancient Near East for God. It would be like if we wrote the word God with a lowercase g. It's just, it just generically means like a divine being. But this word Yahweh, this is the name of a particular God. Imagine if it had said Zeus God, right? Okay. So this is the name of a particular God. This God, Yahweh, is the God who rescues Israel from slavery and brings her to himself. In other words, the Bible is a storybook. You know this because the first line of the Bible is the first line of a story, right? In the beginning. And the Bible tells the story of a particular God, the one true God. Now, the God the Bible tells a story about is not Buddha. He's not a spiritually awake, enlightened person. That's one of the gods. And this God is not Allah. The story the Bible tells about is not one of the divine educators, one of the manifestations of God that we learn about in the Baha'i faith. The Bible tells the story of a particular God, Yahweh. And the Bible claims that this God, the God that rescued Israel from slavery from Egypt, that this God is the true God. This God created everything, created the whole world, created the Nile, created the oceans, created the stars, created the universe. And this God, when you read the Bible and you, you try to get a feel for, okay, what is this God like? Well, he is a king. He's a royal king. And he really does exist. And he really is deeply involved in the world. And the job of the church, the job of the Christian church is to tell that story and to live out the story that the Bible tells us. The story of his mighty acts in creation and in redemption and his promises about where this thing will end. 
And one of the things the church does is we gather every Sunday to tell this story, to tell pieces of it, parts of it, and to celebrate it and to interpret it so that we can go out all week long and enact it in our lives. Now, this morning, we're going to pull back from our series where we've been going through Philippians so that those of us who are Christians, I grew up singing this song, I love to tell the story. Do you know this hymn? What we're going to do this morning is, once again, those of us who are Christians, let's celebrate this story. The story the Bible tells about the creator God and how he's leading the whole of human history to its goal. And for those of us who are not Christians, you're checking things out. I hope that this morning you will begin to see this is a beautiful story. And it is good. And it's true. And it's just. And the God of Christianity, Yahweh Elohim, he is just the most remarkable God. And I hope to seduce you into falling in love with him. Now, the first thing to notice when you read the Bible, starting in the beginning, is that this God, the Bible tells the story of, is a stunningly generous creator. That's the first thing that shows up about him. This God, this majestic, wild creator, he is the source of all delight and all that is lovely and lively and liberating. And the, this God, the one true God, you get glimpses of him. You want to know how beautiful he is? When you see the beauty of a sunset, you're catching a glimpse. I mean, the God who made the sunsets, what, what kind of God must this be? That's the work of the creator, God, the one true God. He made this universe in its vast sweep and in its tiny perfections. And why does he create the world? Well, when you read the story of the Bible, it's clear he does not create the universe out of a need. He creates it out of love. He made the world. Not because he was forced to, but because his inmost nature is generous, exuberant love. And Christians believe in the creation out of love. That this world is an overflow of God's love. God's not an object in our universe. We are objects in his universe. And if that's true... It makes sense of the layer upon layer of wonder and delight and beauty and joy that comes to us through the natural world. We're not drifting along in a meaningless cosmic game of flux. No, the power behind the universe is not blind chance or brute force. It's love. A delighted love that celebrates the goodness and specialness of every part of creation. It's a love that cares about the smallest creature and the farthest star. And it's a love that made one creature in particular to share in the capacity of Yahweh Elohim to give and receive love, to share uniquely in the work of this creator, to work with the creator to bring out all of the glorious potential of this world. God created humans different. And he's given us this incredible role to play, a responsibility in his world. And yet... 
When you read the story, you get to chapter 3, through our rebellion against the creator, we have vandalized beauty. We've perverted justice. We've drawn all of creation into the mutiny of the human race. And somehow, evil infects it all. The Bible doesn't tell tell us where evil came from. It just shows up. It's one of those great mystery marks in the story of the Bible. But what is clear in the story of the Bible is that it does show up. And it infects the good creation. And it twists it. In this world of beauty and power, of sunsets and starlight, there is also violence and destruction and bloodshed. And it's not just between nations. It's on every level, from wars to cancer. There is in this world, there are creatures, a lot of them, who live as parasites, whose sole reason for existing seems to be to eat their hosts alive from the inside out. So we experience a world filled with dazzling goodness and horrific evil. Love and hate, beauty and ugliness, life and death. Our world is both good and broken. This is the story the Bible tells. Our world wholly belongs to God, yet the cancerous tentacles of sin invade every square inch of the universe. So in the story of the Bible, what does the creator do about this imposter? Well, the Bible is the story not only of God the creator, but also... God the rescuer, the same God who we find in Genesis 1 and 2 creating all things, this same God, as you keep reading the story, begins to work to heal all things. The Bible is the story of God dealing with evil. And the story the Bible tells of God dealing with evil, it finds its breathtaking and exhilarating climax in the central character of Jesus. Jesus, Israel's Messiah. That's what Christ means. It's not a last name. It's a title. It means Israel's Messiah. And when you get to the Gospels, the part of the Bible that our Gospel passage came from, when you get to this part of the Bible that tells Jesus' life story, you see that this stunningly generous creator God, Yahweh Elohim, this God who is the source of all delight, of all that's lovely and lively, this God who is filled utterly with love, just love we can't imagine, just grace to the core of his being, this God of utterly self-giving love in the gospels we find that he has given himself to us that he has taken on flesh and entered all the way down into this good but broken creation and this is Jesus the Messiah just look at Jesus in the gospels what is he doing in the gospels what does this love do when he's faced with broken limbs and broken dreams he heals. That's right. Was that Nathaniel? Was, was that Nick? Who said that? You're, right, you're with me, aren't you? All right. He does. He heals. He heals people. People suffering from all kinds of diseases. That's our gospel passage. If you've got your Bible, turn to it. Mark chapter 2. 
just look. It's so beautiful. Look, look what he does here when he took on flesh, this creator God. Look what he does. He is once again taking charge of the world, yanking it back from the infection of evil. You see, in, in, in the creator, we see when he comes in the form of Jesus, he is launching his plan to sort it all out. To fill this world with his glory and his goodness and his justice and his beauty. Look at Jesus and you see the creator entering into his tragically broken creation and confronting the ancient sickness that has crippled the world and ourselves included. Look at Jesus in the stories of the gospels and you see newing creation. When you see the sick healed. And the broken mended and the overwhelmed set free. You're seeing life in the king's kingdom. You're seeing what it looks like up close and personal. In these amazing stories, we're seeing the kingdom of God breaking into real people's lives. Mark chapter 1 verse 14, right before our passage. Here we're told that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled. What's the good news? The good news is the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what's so good. That's the news that's so good. And so he says, what should you do in response to it? You should repent and believe in this good news. And then over and over we see Jesus just bringing it. Bringing God's kingdom into people's lives. Bringing his kingdom of life and love and liberation and justice and beauty. You see him bringing his kingdom to an old man here and a young girl there. A dying slave over here. A hemorrhaging woman. He just lets that power that created the world out of love. He just lets that creative love flow out of him into all directions. And this morning in our gospel reading in Mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12, we see what happens when this creative love encounters a man who is overwhelmed with the weight of his own moral failings. The generous love of the creator flows into his life as forgiveness. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Now, just imagine that. Here's Jesus. He's just returned from a short, like, mission trip. Word has gotten out. There's a huge crowd. They're surrounding his house, filling up his house. How would you feel in this situation? How would you feel if you were the unlucky homeowner and someone began to dig a giant hole in your roof? What does Jesus do? He looked down at this man lying in the stretcher and he says, all right, I forgive you. But something in his voice made everyone realize this forgiveness went deeper than the fact that you just dug a hole in my roof, right? It went deeper than some domestic dispute. Jesus was speaking with the quiet authority that went down into the paralyzed man's innermost being. 
Apparently, this man's wrongdoing had reduced him to paralysis. And Jesus gave this man forgiveness. And wow, look at the power of it. This ointment of forgiveness goes all the way down to the hidden roots of his personality, gently healing old, long-buried hurts. I want to just stop for a second. What if this story that I'm telling is true? What if the story of Christianity really is the truth of the world? What if there is a God who is the God? And what if he is this stunningly generous? What if the gratuitous beauty of sunsets and starlight What if the affection and the infinite personal attention that has created bromeliads and bumblebees? What if this is the handiwork of a God that this is giving us an image of? What if the stunningly generous and stunningly attentive creator of all things, what if Jesus is the full revelation of that God. Then do you see forgiveness is possible? That love makes forgiveness possible. There are plenty of people in this room who have heard that word of forgiveness from Jesus. And you know what it's like for it to flow down to the roots It doesn't just bring you back to the starting line. Like someone who's run up a huge debt and now discovers the debt's been paid off. No, it's so much more than that. It's it's putting a whole new deposit into the account. It unlocks the knowledge that you are, after all, a full human, a fully valued human being and you no longer need to regard yourself as useless as hopeless as a failure and that news it can open up in you a whole new way to become the person God wants you to become the free gift of of forgiveness reveals a new world and invites you to make it your own. That, and that is one of the key elements in the story the Bible tells in the good news that Jesus, the king of creation, was making in the offer he was giving, in the invitation he was giving. The purpose of Jesus' life was to announce and launch God's kingdom. And when you read the stories of his encounters with people, that's, he's showing us what life in the kingdom is like. And part of what life in the kingdom is like is forgiveness. Now, Jesus didn't deal with every illness by connecting it to sin. He didn't root every illness's healing in forgiveness. But this one he did. 
And the remarkable work of modern psychology and therapy is helping us know that this kind of connection is a part of our lives sometimes. Are you paralyzed? Is it possible that some part of your paralysis is because of something wrong you've done? Now, like I said, Jesus does not connect every sickness to sin. But this one, he does. Have you done something wrong that you can't get over? What, what the Bible tells us is that there is a God. And he is love. Sheer love to the very core of his being. And he offers forgiveness. Will you open the deep places of your life to his love? You see, those who accept God's invitation into God's party on God's term celebrate the feast of forgiveness. And part of our job is to then draw down on that forgiveness, to enjoy the taste of it for ourselves, and to become for the world agents of forgiveness. In our own personal lives, we need to open our hearts to Jesus, draw on his life and love and power, and then go forth with his spirit to forgive those who sin against us. And that's hard. And it's not just hard, it's complicated. Forgiveness is hard and complex. And it is definitely not the same thing as tolerance. And it is not the same thing as inclusivity. And it's not the same thing as indifference or sweeping something under the rug, or just forgetting that you've done something or something's been done to you. You see, forgiveness doesn't mean that you take the things you've done or have been done to you and you treat them as if they're not serious. It does not mean that. Forgiveness requires that you do the opposite. It requires you to take it serious, to name it, And to shame it. And without that, there is nothing to forgive. And then you do everything in your power to resume an appropriate relationship with the person you've harmed. Or who has harmed you. After the evil has been dealt with you find the new appropriate relationship. And you settle in your mind that you will not allow this evil to determine the sort of person you will become. This is what forgiveness is all about. It is tough. It is tough to do. It's tough to receive. It's tough also in the sense that when it's really happened, 
Forgiveness is tough. It is strong. It is not some soggy tolerance that merely takes the line of least resistance. Now, this is hard. It is hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard to know the difference between forgiveness and ignoring someone. It's hard to know what forgiveness means when you keep committing the sin. It's hard to know what forgiveness means when someone keeps sinning against you. But thankfully, you have resources. Three in particular. Number one, when you accept the forgiveness of Jesus in your own life for your own sins, you can draw down on that forgiveness so that you can become a more humble, forgiving person. So that you can open your heart to that life-giving, creation-giving love that will soften you and lead you so that inside of you becomes a reservoir of that love that forgives. Second, you have a church. You have a Christian community and this church can help each other. We can help each other forgive. There are people in this church who are godly and wise and mature and they have been around the bases a few times and they have figured some of this out and they know some wisdom to help you move forward when you're stuck. A church can be a school of love. And third, you have priests. Part of my job and Keith's job and Eric's job and Martin and Wilson, part of our job is to help our community learn and practice forgiveness. One of the wonderful gifts of Anglicanism, if you didn't know, we're an Anglican church. It's just, it's like our last name. It's what part of the Christian family we're in. We're in the Anglican part. That's why we get to wear cool clothes. And these cool little scarves. And one of the wonderful gifts of Anglicanism is the rite of, of, of penance. A beautiful and ancient and wise ritual for naming your sin and asking God to forgive you and receiving his generous and healing forgiveness. What, look, if you're stuck, set up an appointment with me, with Keith or Eric or one of our priests and we will help you with the work of repentance, the work of forgiveness, the work of healing. One more thing. If you keep reading in Mark, we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus' unexpected declaration of forgiveness sends a shockwave through the world. And it wasn't merely that he was creating some theological crime. The hole in his roof was nothing compared to the hole in the way of life that he was tearing through. And the conflict this generated with the lawyers and the scribes, it doesn't stop. In fact, this is the first of five stories in a row in Mark's gospel where Jesus is embroiled in conflict that eventually leads these leaders in chapter 3, verse 6, to get together and plot his murder. Forgiveness came at a cost. Somehow, the creative and recreative work of love provoked the anti-creation forces in the world. All the forces of hatred and fear and decay and death. And they exhausted themselves. They exhausted their power when Jesus absorbed them into himself on the cross. And this is the focus 
of the good news that we call the gospel. The good news that God's kingdom is at hand comes to a head in the utterly, catastrophically, appallingly bad news of Jesus' murder. And it is in the death of Jesus that evil is ultimately confronted and dealt with. In Jesus' death, evil is defeated and its power is exhausted. And yes, it continues to strike out even after its defeat. But one day, Jesus the King will return and he will end evil once and for all. And in the meantime, because of the mystery of the cross... God forgives. And that forgiveness releases the world from its burden and guilt. And as we rise up from our own pallets of paralysis, having received God's forgiveness, we must take this forgiveness into our families, into our friendships, into our work, into our jobs, into every sphere. And when we do, we are agents of the kingdom and we will pay a price. And it will be enormously costly. We will be misunderstood. We will be falsely accused. We will be resisted by those who have a vested interest in the way the world works. And yet, we will never be alone. Because Jesus himself promised he will give us his spirit. And he will be with us to the ends of the earth. If you're not a Christian, you've just heard a summary of the Christian view of the world. Aren't you attracted? Don't you want this to be the truth? The capacity to really name evil, the, the capacity to really forgive evil. You can become a Christian. Open your heart to Jesus. Meet with a friend who's a Christian or a pastor or one of the leaders in our church. We would love to help you begin the most remarkable journey. The Christian journey. Let's pray.